ready to go. Yes. Is it in my teeth fits. Right. In the early hours of the 11th of August 2007, a 20-year-old young lady and her boyfriend, who was 21, were walking home through a park in Bakeup, Lancashire, when they were violently attacked by a group of teenagers. Both were hospitalised. The young lady never made it home again alive. This is the murder of Sophie Lancaster. Welcome to Murder Me on Monday. Now, this case is a little different to many. Why are you looking at me like that? I wasn't even looking at you. Okay, let me start that again. This case is a little different to many in that the victims are relatively well known, but the perpetrators are not. A quick internet search on Sophie's name produces many hits, with the information on the perpetrators are much further down on the rankings. This is partially down to the fact that some of the attackers were juvenile and therefore names were suppressed by the police and the courts. This is not only a UK crime thing, but actually common in other European countries, I've found out. I was going to ask that. What is the general threshold between their names being withheld? Is it 18? Like, yes. yes. Yeah. If you're over 18, they're allowed to release your name. Yeah. But between 16 and 18, they do not in the UK, and they only release on conviction. If they're allowed to, sometimes there are still suppression orders in place. And in Europe, they've got some very interesting rules which we'll obviously get into in other cases further down the line the other reason why this case was odd was the way that the media reported it they focused on the facts that sophie and robert maltby who was her boyfriend were what are commonly called goths so they were wearing longer hair darker clothing facial piercings and another term that i learned which Seems to have been used locally, but there's little correlation. I, I I don't know. I'm old. I thought this was weird. They were called moshers. So, right, what a mosher is... Okay, I'll let, I'll let you finish, sorry. Now, yeah, I looked it up. I've heard of mosh pits, obviously. I'm not that... I've been in mosh pits, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't even want to know when you were some, in there those... Are some, there are some people listening to this now that are like, I was in the mosh pits with Cameron, so... Oh, God... So yeah, so the, it bits. was the term mosher, and I'd never actually heard mosher. Obviously, as I said, I'd heard mosh pits, but I'd never heard mosher. So I looked it up, and according to the Cambridge Dictionary, it means a person who dances energetically and violently to rock music, and a modern-day goth is a cross between a mosher and an emo kid. Those seem like really antiquated phrases. So we know what the most, like, the definition of like a goth, if you like, but the difference between what a mosher is and why it'd be weird to describe someone as that when they're not in a mosh pit is because it's like uh, an activity. Mm -hmm. If you look at someone, you wouldn't define them as a rock climber, would mm -hmm. you? Even no. though no. what they might do as a hobby or yep. as a pastime is rock climbing. So a, a mosh pit is when typically it's at the front of a stage. So you've, you have like a band on or like a show and you might have seen them where there's those large circles form and people dance around and it spins very violently and people are like, crashing I, I, I don't, i'm not gonna say bumping it's crashing there's like yeah, head, the, it's human head, dodgers headbutts elbows punches um yeah. there's a really funny video online of Shaq, you know the basketball player yeah in a mosh pit and because motherfuckers are eight foot tall he's just pushing people over and people bump into him and fly in a different direction it's really funny 
Yeah, anyway, my going first back to this, yeah. Segue. Um, ultimately, what appears to have sparked the assault is the fact that they actually look different to the attackers. And my cerebral crush, Professor David Wilson, and it's a quote, he describes it as a monoculture. I'm assuming that means a, a culture or a town where there's generally one type of person, i.e. like loads of farmers, if someone isn't dressed like a farmer. You wouldn't expect a townie to come in and not yeah. stand out like a sore thumb. So basically, yeah, you're completely right. That That was my understanding of it as well. So Bakeup is a small town in the northwest of England, with a population of roughly 14,000 and about 22 miles, which is 35 kilometres roughly, by road from Manchester. Now, it's pronounced Bay Cup, not Back Up, which is how I've always wanted to say it as a southerner. When you see it, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. Now, Sophie and Robert Maltby were both from Bay Cup. Sophie was described by her mother, Sylvie, as a complete bookworm. She recounted a story from a documentary where Sophie went to stay with a friend one summer holiday as a normal teenager and ended up spending the whole of the summer holidays, which in the UK is typically six, six and a half weeks, and came back with startlingly coloured hair and makeup. But her mother genuinely took it in her stride and didn't bat an eyelid. And I remember feeling daftly proud watching her recount this on the documentary. Sophie was her daughter and she loved her and that was it. There was no drama, there was nothing. Why would you... I guess the only startle that would make sense to me is, oh, they've got different coloured hair now. They went away with brunette hair, they've come back and it's bright pink. But yeah. apart from that, I don't think it's any other statement. No. That, that's that's kind of what it was. And a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of parents would have gone, oh, oh, hell no, change that back. But her mother was like, no, it's fine. It was, it was really, her mother was so mellow. It was, it was actually really, oh. Refreshing to see. Yeah. yeah. So due to Sophie's bookworm nature, nobody was surprised by her intention to further her education. But at the time, she was actually taking a gap year. Um, then she was due to go on to study for an English degree. She had met Robert Maltby, who was an art student, some two, some accounts say three years earlier, but they were happy, they were rather a happy couple, and they'd lived together for some six months prior to this event. Were they staying with the mother, staying with no, his family? No, they apparently lived... They had their own place? They had their own place, okay. apparently, yeah. It's one of those details that's a bit sparse. On the 10th of August 2007, Sophie and Robert had visited a friend's house had a couple of drinks and left around 11.40pm to walk the two miles home. The attack happened between 1.10 and 1.20am on the 11th of August in the skate park area of Stubby Lee Park in Bakeup. Quoting now from court papers online, their route took them past a total petrol station, it's a brand in the UK, on Market Street. At the petrol station, they fell into conversation with a number of local teenagers who had gathered on the forecourt. The conversation was friendly and good-natured. Witnesses speak of them handing out cigarettes to the group. The group, including Robert Maltby and Miss Lancaster, then moved on to another location, an area outside the entrance to industrial premises known as the Fudge Factory Park Road. I wonder what they sell. <laughs> Tyres. Like the garage forecourt, it is a place where local youths congregate. At How about one in the morning? Why are so many people out at one in the morning? There must be fuck all to do in, in Bay Cup. I'm quoting the court papers here. At that stage, there was no hint of trouble. 
After a short period, the group moved from Park Road across a road called New Line and into Stubby Lee Park, which is actually spelt incorrectly according to all my research. So they seem to have gone to the park with a group of girls that they'd met at the petrol station who had engaged them about their style of dress and it seemed that they agreed to chat further. It was all completely amicable. Now again, quoting from the court papers, there are skate ramps in the park and it was in the vicinity of the skate ramps that five appellants suddenly and without warning or provocation attacked Robert Maltby. He was brought to the ground by punches and kicks. When on the ground, he was kicked viciously to the head and body and at least one of his assailants stamped on his head. During the attack, the appellants goaded each other on saying such things as watch it and making noises. Why is that? I'm sorry. Why are you, whilst stamping on someone, are you saying watch it? What are they, I don't get, it's not the 1980s, like Bugsy Malone style monster. I don't know. And apparently making noises, as one witness put it, like it was summit good, like they'd done summit good. They stole Robert Maltby's phone from him and offered it to an acquaintance shortly afterwards. That was that was that was actually from the appeal documents. So you can see where this is going. The group were described as a large number of teenagers. Police investigations are quoted as being 15 to 20 actually being in the park. But the wider investigation, they talked up to 100. But even so, 15 to 20 people in a park at 1am. skate park, specifically? They the just said park. the park. I'm assuming, depending on the size of the park, though, that if it's 20 to 100 people... We'll get onto the size how of... How big's the park? We'll get onto the size of the park later. Sophie was said that she threw herself on Robert's body as he was laying there, um, and she was trying to protect him, or check on how he was. Now, the teenagers had run away, and they came back, and the attack... The second time they came back, they attacked again, but it was focused on her specifically, and specifically, again, on her head, where she was kicked unconscious, and the reports are that her head was stamped on repeatedly. Now, one of the witnesses who formed part of a larger group, again, it's unclear if they were with the attackers or watching just there, they called 999, which is emergency services in the UK, and they were begging for help. You can actually hear it on the documentary, which I'll reference in the show notes. They were screaming. Uh, They begged for help. Two ambulances and the police were quickly dispatched to the scene. Again, quoting... Their facial injuries were so dreadful that it was not immediately possible to tell which sex either casualty was. They were then both taken to Rochdale Infirmary. The couple were rushed, both being sedated and ventilated into induced comas with brain swellings and numerous injuries. Sophie's injuries were described as being so serious she was transported to a specialist unit at another hospital. Now the hospital were taking the very best care of her, but they were not experts as to what had caused the injuries. Sophie was on life support and had 17 separate documented injuries. The thought was that even if she did partially recover, there would be no evidence to prosecute without a report from an expert because the wounds would have started to have healed and they wouldn't be in their original state that they'd actually happened when she was first brought in. The police called in a home office pathologist before Sophie passed away. Very unusual. No idea if it's happened before or since. 
and at the time it was thought she may not recover but they wanted to preserve the evidence just in case so they asked this pathologist to check her injuries. Her injuries were actually so severe they were judged unsurvivable. She never regained consciousness. She was removed from the machines and at the request of her family and she passed away with the family at her side. The pathologist's report stated that she was actually kicked violently on each side of her head at the same time. Therefore, it had to be two individuals involved in the attack that came at her from opposite sides and simultaneously kicked her. Robert Maltby, he had suffered 22 different areas of injury. He slowly recovered and he eventually regained consciousness. Thankfully, he had lost all memory of the time leading up to the attack and the actual assault itself. So once Sophie and Robert were on their way to the hospital, Lancashire police immediately began investigating and they made inquiries of the people that were believed to be in the park and obviously that extended out. Did you see his, you know, did you see this person? Did you see that person? Was that person with you that night? Sort of, it was a well-known local hangout for use of the area. On the 11th of August, so it's the daytime, this attack happened in the early hours. During the day on the 11th of August, they arrested two teenagers and on the 12th, they arrested three more. There were 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds which were released on bail with one 15-year-old or one 16-year-old remaining in custody. They were all initially charged with grievous bodily harm or GBH with intent but after Sophie's death, they were all, all five of them, additionally charged with murder. Is the intent part because they came back? They attacked them initially, went away and then came back. So it's, I don't want to say premeditated, but it's with clear intent. That's my interpretation of it, yeah. They released all of them on bail. Now, bail in the UK is very different to the USA. There's no money involved in it, for one. You're basically released on your own recognizance um, and expected to turn back up. They, most people do. It's very rare people jump bail and run, but nobody's going to lose their house if their relative doesn't turn up because that's not how it works over here. So the trial for all five of them took place in March of 2008 at Preston Crown Court. All five pled guilty to the GBH with intent, one not guilty to murder and one guilty to murder, and murder charges were actually dropped against three of them. All of them were found guilty of the charges against them, and therefore they were actually allowed to be named in the court and in the press when they were being sentenced. So initially we have Ryan Herbert, then aged 16, who was charged with murder and received life in prison with a recommended sentence of 16 years and three months. Brendan Harris, then aged 15, convicted of murder, life in prison with a recommended sentence of 18 years. Joseph Hume, who was 17, and his brother, Danny Hume, who was 16, both received five years and 10 months. And finally, Daniel Mallett, aged 17, got four years and four months. They all appealed, which is usual. And in 2008, apart from Ryan Herbert, all the appeals were dismissed. 
Ryan Herberts was reduced by nine months to 15 years and six months. This was because he pled guilty and it was felt that not enough weight had been given to the fact that he'd actually pled guilty. I don't understand why that applies any change to the sentence that someone might receive. We know that they did it. By admitting guilt, all you're doing is making it quicker for the court systems. It doesn't affect your the thing you've done, so why should it affect your sentencing in any way? I think the difference is the perception of whether somebody absolutely denied it and you can prove they did it. Or feeling remorse and... I'm not sure about the remorse element, but if you pled guilty, the fact is you're admitting that you did it. Hmm. So, okay, we're not going to lock you up for quite as long if you've admitted it, which is... That's what it is. Ryan Herbert was very well known to the local police with a very long juvenile record. Same with Brendan Harris. Ryan Herbert was described in the documentary as a menace and Brendan Harris as a bully. Brendan Harris admitted in court he was the one that made the first blow but claimed he was drunk. It's not a mitigation in defence when you're drunk. Not in the UK, certainly, anyway. There is an interesting tidbit in the appeals record where it seems by there was a disagreement between Brendan Harris's psychologist and psychiatrist. No idea how he ended up with two of them, but mm. the solicitor couldn't get him to cooperate or contribute to his defence. So my guess is he had um, reports ordered, so he had some sort of defence. And quoting again... The view expressed by the consultant psychiatrist prevailed, which led to legal discussion in court, apparently, and then he pled guilty. How much of it do you think is his age that is the justification for having two mental health professionals assess him? I think it's because he's committing such a violent crime at 15 that it's a cause for specific concern? or Definitely. And he had such a, a history... I suspect there was concern that he did have mental health issues, but they didn't know what they were. At the time, especially, yeah. And if he was uncooperative with his solicitor, they needed to make sure... One of the things they do a lot of times is to make sure that when the appeal inevitably happens, they've dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's to make sure that they can. there is a rebuttal for anything that comes up. So... Again, according to the documentary, both Ryan Herbert and Brendan Harris tried to stare the judge down in sentencing hearing. He called them feral. Oh, the idea of staring down a judge to intimidate them. You're going to give me a lesser sentence because I'm scary. At that age, yeah. You're 16 and 15. The I'm not sure if it's cognitive dissonance that they're currently going through, but to think that that will work is impressive. But they were local bullies. They were local scumbags. Yeah. They they probably thought they could. They probably actually bullied every teacher they'd ever had, every social worker that'd ever been involved with them. They were probably so aggressive that they knew that they could back things down. And they didn't relate this to being in court. They probably still felt that they could throw their weights around. They're not... Uh, it, it, it just, it's reminding me of like Nelson from The Simpsons. Yeah. Just thinking he's intimidating yeah. and you're yeah. like eight. Stop yeah. it. Yeah. So the judge sentenced them using something called a section 146, which was the hate crime statute. And the court witnesses 
actually described the events as pretty shocking, um, how they were totally without remorse, how they had arrogant attitudes. There was a lot of family and friends there and they did speak out and they were just horrified at their behaviours. So, in 2013, it was reported that Brendan Harris, then aged 21, was serving out his sentence in a secure psychiatric unit. Due to their age, when they were originally sentenced, they would have been sentenced to a youth offenders institution, not a, a regular prison. But Brendan Harris had been diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic and he had been transferred out. He then got into a heated and protracted argument with a number of staff members. He refused to follow out, follow through with instructions and he was generally uncooperative. Um, it eventually resulted in Brendan Harris assaulting a nurse, fracturing his nose. This little escapade ended up with him being charged with assault. I thought you were going to say this little shit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he, he ends up being quite a big old lump. Yeah. Um, he ended up with an additional four months added to his sentence, which is not a lot for breaking someone's nose. But the at this point he'd served... A third of his sentence, hasn't he? Mm. If he's sentenced to 18 years and he's done six. Mm. Mm. But... That's easy maths. Sorry. <laughs> the jury, uh, under the assault charge, were only told that he had a GBH conviction. No mention was made of the murder. Again, it's usual. You can't judge someone on their past history. With... It, it, do, it does make sense based on certain things, but if they've had a history of committing violent crimes, I think at that point it does need to be considered. But if someone had, say, stolen something or committed some form of fraud, I don't think those should be taken into consideration when a crime has been committed of a violent nature because it's a non-sequitur. One doesn't lead to the next. Yeah. I think it genuinely does depend on whether the judge will allow these things if there is enough correlation between previous acts if there is if there is that similarity about them so if yeah. they had committed gbh two or three times previously my guess is and it does depend on the judge whether that would actually be allowed in in 2016 ryan herbert yet again tried to have his sentence cut which was rejected however in february of 2020 a high court judge stated that Ryan Herbert had made exceptional progress and allowed a reduction of one year on his tariff. Seems like an awful lot of work and expense for not a lot of reward. So he said a total of one year and nine months? No. Yes, in total. Off the original sentence. Yeah. So he's now doing 14 years, six months. Mm. Or can I not do maths? No, you better read it than me. I don't think I did the maths right. Someone will know. Yeah. I, I'm tired. Yeah. Now, Robert Maltby, he moved on slowly. He's now an artist. He still lives at his parents' house in Bakeup, which is actually less than 10 minutes walk away from where the attack actually took place. It's got to be difficult for him. With regard to Joseph and Danny Hume and Daniel Mallet. There is nothing out there. I can't find anything on them. My guess is, because of their age at the time, they served their short, very short sentences out. From what I understand, they I don't think they went back to Bake Up. I don't think they're in the area again, but I may be wrong. Somebody else might know more than I do, but I couldn't find anything of them. It was gone. 
Can we do the case autopsy? Yeah. Right. Case autopsy. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm tired, so I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, carry on, talk. Yeah. Talk, woman. <laughs> this bothers me, so I'm getting it out there. Something's odd about the timeline. If they left the friend's house at 11.40 to walk two miles, it seems a very long time if the attack took place at after 1am. So they're obviously having a good chat and a time, you know, a good time with the people in the park before that. I mean, you don't know what someone's doing for a walk for a two mile walk. How long would that take to do? About 40 minutes. Yeah, about that. So they were obviously sat down having a, a good chat. Well, if then... they'd been out with their friends previously, right? So they might have been drinking. So but they only had a couple of drinks by all accounts. But, but even then they can, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're slowing down, you're talking, you're not purposefully walking home I guess it is might be well, one o'clock but mm. even then I don't think you're charging home with intent necessarily or you might stop and sit and talk you might think my knees hurt I'm going to sit down yeah this is true now this part I'm projecting a bit because my knees hurt but <laughs> this part we talked about it's pretty big I can't actually find out and I did try how big it is but it has playgrounds it has football pitches it's got tennis courts, it's got two bowling greens, an outdoor gym, and there is a an historic Stubbyley Hall, which stands in the centre of the park. A lot of these amenities appear to have been added after this event, and some of the money seems to come from National Lottery funding, so they've, they've really massively up graded the park yeah, by, this, by the way you're describing it it's got multiple it's got multiple tennis courts football fields yeah. bowling greens it mm. sounds like quite an affluent area yeah. like it sounds like there's money spent on it it's, it's an odd demographic I'll get on to it now the Oxford Dictionary of British Place Names actually translates Bake Up as this muddy valley by a ridge the Industrial Revolution created a huge boom in textiles um, in the area, but, but by about 1966, that was over, and the town dropped into a downward spiral, and it was eventually, by the closing of the railway station, it's, it's a pretty grim description. The people are fiercely proud of their community, and the pictures of the area and the buildings in the town, it's actually nice. So it was rather sad that it's been described as uh, a community that was in decline. It's been described as a community that needed a lot of money, a lot of care and a lot of attention. But looking at the demographics, I'm not so sure. It's always going to be marred as a place that this has happened. Looking at the 2011 census information, so it's not too long after, about 5% of the population were unemployed. 6% 6% were student and 12% were retired. At that time, the national average unemployment was 8.9%. So, yeah, that's something I was going to ask. What was the unemployment rate for the area? I know they're only um, from the ages of 15 to 17, so you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be in employment. But At the time, they could have been. No, no, but you wouldn't, yeah. necess- you wouldn't ex- necessarily no, expect no. it. It's exactly, it's a potential. I just wondered why there were so many people in a park at... It was August, so school yeah, holidays. Yeah, nice. Maybe I'm just boring, but I, it's one o'clock, I don't want to be in a park. Hmm. Although I guess my parks didn't have bowling greens and tennis courts. Yeah, that's true. So, as we said, 5% of the population was unemployed when the national average was 8.9%. And even in 2005, there were statements made in the local press that it had one of the lowest crime rates in the country. But it was admitted it was suffering with urban blight, derelict buildings and a lack of regeneration. Now, in May 2009, the then current Justice Minister, Jack Straw, 
was said that while he could not change the law, he would amend the sentencing guidelines to require judges to treat an attack on a member of a subculture as an aggravating factor. So similarly to racially motivated or homophobic assaults when sentencing perpetrators. So basically bolstering up what the judge had used to sentence them anyway. And had he used this as ammo or as a cause for this to be raised? Yes, he used... He used this, this, this is an example yeah. of that, okay. And is that still under... Yeah, yeah. In April 2013, the Greater Manchester Police Force announced that they would officially begin to record offences committed against goths and other alternative groups as hate crimes, as they do with offences specifically aimed at someone's race, disability or sexual orientation. I pulled up some Home Office statistics... Um, from 2016 to 2020 about hate crimes um, and how they've massively increased year on year. But it's it's how far you drill down into it. This is where I'm a bit worried about taking away from things. The overall way of looking at these figures, they actually break them down into five different areas, which is race, religion, sexual orientation, disability and transgender but the total number of motivating factors is off the scale. I don't know what these motivating factors are. The Home Office website did not drill down into those. So it could be that your, your hair was pink last Wednesday or something. It's really difficult to tell. But the difference I, is very obvious between 2015 to 2020, they've doubled, basically. Is that just doubled, A, because there's greater reporting of it and since because this was committed in august 2007 Mm -hmm. so the advent of social media and people being able to proliferate their voices yeah that by extension would increase the reports as well yeah so i don't know if it's necessary that they've increased or just there's a greater rate of reporting them that's always been the concern when when people start saying you know you know these figures are astronomic we need to do something about it they weren't that 10 years ago it was a case of... People weren't reporting them people back then. Possibly. It, it, that doesn't make it any better or worse. And it's just, oh, there's just more reports. Yeah. Which is good because then that means they can ask for greater funding for things to help these... Exactly. Exactly. So Sophie's mum, Sylvia, um, she had been really, really vocal in getting anti-hate crime legislation on the statute books. And she was actually awarded an OBE, which is Order of the British Empire Medal, in 2014. A charity was set up to focus on creating respect for and understanding subcultures. A link will be in the show notes. Prior to that, in 2011, Sylvia actually launched an educational game in London... There was a lot of press there. And it was to encourage children to be more tolerant of others. The aim was for schools around the country to allow pupils to play this. It was a game. And the children were given images of people from different cultural backgrounds and have to say who they thought would be their friends. The charity that they set up says its aim is to stamp out prejudice hatred and intolerance everywhere. The acronym is Sophie. Ah, sneaky. They used her name as the name for the charity. I like it when places do that, when they use a backronym and it works really well. This obviously happened in 2007. 
And in 2008, Bizarre Magazine launched a Proud to be Different campaign in honour of Sophie. 2009, which would have been Sophie's 23rd birthday, a four-minute animation named Dark Angel, based on the murder, was released onto the internet and shown on MTV. The film was also projected onto a screen in the Cathedral Gardens in Manchester. In July of 2010, the book Weirdo Mosher Freak by journalist Catherine Smythe was published about the murder. That's actually available on Amazon, but I believe it's only as um, a Kindle download. I don't... That sounds quite antagonistic. I, 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 I was... Whoa. Imagine... The... But I'm assuming that that is the phrase that they actually probably called her or called them... When they were when they were the attacking, yeah. But imagine defining the physical traits as the thing you call the book. The book is called Fat Black Man. You cannot do that. That is that is dodgy. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah. You cannot name the book after the sole reason that they were attacked for looking different. You can't do that. It's just so inappropriate. So on the eleventh of March, twenty eleven, a BBC Radio Four broadcast the play Black Roses, which was about the killing of Sophie Lancaster, consisting of poems by Simon Armitage, telling the story of Sophie's life, combined with the personal recollections of her mother. And on the 18th of June 2017, BBC Three released a film based on the events surrounding Sophie's death, and it was actually called Murdered for Being Different. That's a better title. The, the Mosher Freak, yeah. So, for my mind, the final word should actually go to Robert Maltby, and I'm quoting, I have never seen it as a hate crime. It was always like Sophie Lancaster was killed because she was a goth. No, she wasn't. She was killed because some arseholes killed her. Why can't we ask what it is about them that made them want to murder someone? Not what it is about somebody that made them be murdered. Yeah, it's just classic victim blaming and it's bizarre. Yeah, but that's... It's the same... It's it's like they're trying to, trying to describe it as you waved a red flag in front of a ball and you're surprised a ball charged you. That's how they're trying to paint it. If if you they're trying to say if you weren't dressed up in yeah in if you hadn't self- looked, yeah but this is the same with um, sexual assault victims. They are often victim blamed. If you hadn't have been wearing that, you wouldn't have been dragged off into an alley and assaulted. If you had gone out for a drink with this person and you hadn't had more than two drinks, you wouldn't have been assaulted. It's classic victim blaming. And unfortunately, the press did it because they, they, the only interest they had was the fact that they did look different. It would Now we would call it clickbait. 2007 was a weird time. That would have been like the height of like magazines and... Newspapers, yeah. Lizzie McGuire and weird stuff. Like... Lizzie McGuire, I'm, a, I'm drawing a blank on that one. Some people out there, some people in their early 20s will remember what I'm talking about. They'll get the reference. So what are your thoughts over and above? I thought you meant on Lizzie McGuire. Um, it just seems like unwarranted and senseless violence. I often get especially saddened when I hear stories of someone walking past a building and a window pane falls off oh, God, and yeah. kills someone walking past. It's completely random. There was no cause, reason or rhyme as to why it happened. And... I'm not not to blame people that say drive quickly and get into a car accident, but they had agency over that. They could choose not to drive quickly. There's nothing. There's an accident happened. People yeah. in the states, but to be 
randomly attacked by a group of five people and murdered the the fit it, it just it just it keeps invoking this image in my mind of like you say because sophie dove over robert to protect mm-hmm. him when they came back yeah of someone trying to protect their partner and to be like just brutally attacked by five people for no reason i say i, I watched the it makes doc- me angry yeah i i watched the documentary and they had a number of sophie's friends that had known her for many years on there obviously they were grown up now they were adults not just you know 19 20 year olds and they had obviously changed from the time when they were sophie's friends and they were saying that they felt they they com- felt completely isolated from society they were mocked um in the streets of the town and they used to just congregate together and go and sit in quiet areas and my suspicion is that as they went to the petrol station if these girls who had engaged them and then just seemed nice they probably were just grateful for the fact that somebody was being nice to them and wanted to share in you know where do you get your hair done how do you do those dreads in your hair where how do you get the beads to put in what color does how long does the color last all of those little things they were probably just grateful for it that somebody wasn't being aggressive to them i can only speak from my experience but i grew up with quite a diverse friend group that would range from people that are into sports into dressing like goths being like skaters to free runners and yeah all over so I, people would just form a group. It, they wouldn't necessarily be divided because some person is, say, interested in sports and some person is a goth because them being a goth isn't... That's just one facet of them. That's not them as a whole. That's not how they're completely defined by. So it's odd for it's odd for me to consider people being prejudiced towards someone purely based off of what they're wearing and having no idea. But this was in 2007 and they say it's a monoculture up in... Bake up Lancashire and up you, north. You don't know what the the environment's like. You don't know. Yeah, you can't. You the saying is, you know, walk another mile, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And unless you actually lived there, is really difficult to say. You grew up in a diverse southern town that had people from all over the world. It's like growing. It, you're not from London, but if you if you live in London, you know London. London is so multicultural. You wouldn't bat an eyelid if you saw somebody dressed as a vampire walking down the street. Actually, I've seen that outside of Kings Cross Station more than once. But I would imagine if he rocked up at somewhere like Bake Up or somewhere, number of other northern towns that we do actually know quite well, it's outside the norm for them. And I'm saying northern. That's not fair. It's a, a place that has this monoculture as described. That if you where we currently live, I could imagine you would have a few raised eyebrows from that. Although with lockdown, I must admit I looked out the window one morning and I saw the flash trotting off down the road and my jaw hit the floor until I found out it was actually somebody that was wearing a different superhero suit every day to go out jogging to try and raise other people's spirits. I did boggle seeing the flash running past the end of our road. And I yeah. But we do live in quite a small community, so I would expect that, you know, if I'd have seen it... Mind you, where we used to live, I was walking through the centre of town one Saturday morning, as you do, and there was... Uh, I can't even remember what they were promoting, but there was someone dressed up with a full Darth Vader outfit on with two stormtroopers behind him. Now, obviously, I knew it was somebody in a bloody suit, but I couldn't help myself... 
I wigged out and I shot to the other side of the street. The wheezing, it just freaked me out. I knew what it was, but it still didn't stop me having a visceral reaction. I don't like walking near them because I feel like they're going to like try to rope me into their little roleplay thing. And I'm like, I'm not a part I, of this. I don't know what they were advertising. I'm I sure they were doing I something. I being Jar Jar Binks here. Let go of me. I don't trust you. Yeah. Um, briefly going back to the case, mm-hmm. did Robert suffer any long-term injuries or damage due to the attack a year 18 months later i have read reports where he was suffering still with memory problems he was still suffering with balance problems and obviously he was um still mentally yeah i I think the psychological trauma of that is going to persist for forever or for a very long time i was more so pondering on the physical 10 years on uh, my understanding is he's... Well, 14 years. Yeah, but 10 years on from the original attack, I've seen some stuff with him. Um, and he is okay, but I, I think there are some still very slight residual physical problems from that. You can only imagine, and it's probably something that he didn't want to talk about and go in depth when they were trying to probe him. He didn't want to talk about it, which is completely understandable. Yeah, I don't think you can blame him not wanting to talk about that kind of trauma... And they say, thankfully, he suffered some form of short-term memory loss, so he can't remember anything. But yeah, if I'm different on this podcast, it's because I'm very tired. It hit me in the past like hour. It's very hot, and I'm very tired now. I had about five hours sleep. This is all going to be in like a, the summary bit at the start, where I'm just like, nah, I'm tired. But... We, we haven't got the recording schedule off pat either, and then life gets in the way, you know, day jobs and all that sort of stuff. So it's a little bit difficult now and again. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us again for the next episode. So hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. Please like, follow and subscribe. It's free and helps us out a lot. And if you change your mind in the future, you can always do just that. Find us at murdermeonmonday at gmail.com and find us on the gram at murdermeonmondaypodcast. Sophie and Robert had vid- vid- By the sounds of the... But there's also... Uh, this-